Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. So welcome to June. I can't believe it's already, where are we at? June 6th. Oh my goodness. I'm actually coming to you from Napa Valley, California. No, I have not had some wine today yet. So I'm early in the morning. Want to make sure this was out and available to you. And so today I really want to talk about the 99211 code because the nurse visit code is getting some, I don't want to say a bad rap. And I did this a couple of years ago where I really just talked about what it takes to be able to report it. But since we had some different rules on that during the public health emergency and uh, during the pandemic starting in September of 2020, I want to make sure that everyone knows where we stand now post-pandemic on that code and when it really should be used because I'm seeing it being used um, a little too frequently right now in the audits that I'm doing. And also there's some liberties being taken taken with it where people seem to only have read the telehealth rules um, when it comes to post PHE instead of all the rules on what's happening out there. So let's chat about that. And then I have one more thing I just want to talk to you about when it comes to having a patient um, sign an insurance waiver. So let's talk about this uh, first, the 99211, as it relates to what we used it for during the pandemic. So when we had the changes to COVID-19 and all that came out in 2020, Medicare came out and some of the payers commercially said the same thing, but they allowed the 99211 to be performed Uh, under incident two guidelines when the patient was having an assessment, uh, a test, you remember the thing they used to stick up our nose, and then also collecting a specimen uh, to see if it was COVID before before we had vaccines. And they basically uh, would allow either for a new or established patient, the counseling to tell them whether they needed to quarantine, basically stay away from people for what was it, 14 days at that time. And then they lowered it to seven days, you know, all the different things we've gone through. Uh, with with that um, virus. And then they also said that um, it could be done incident to by a pharmacist as well. Well, that is no longer the case. And it actually hasn't been the case for two years now. And that's where I got a, an email today asking, you know, we, we've been billing for, you know, the 99211 with diagnostic testing and, you know, the talked about the collection of the specimen and to assess the patient. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. First of all, in several of the stakeholder calls in 2021, CMS came out and said, remember, discontinue use of waivers when no longer needed. Well, as soon as the vaccines became came out and everyone was able to get one, uh, remember, they first only gave it to a certain class of patients that were older and high risk. They basically said, well, we don't need to quarantine anymore. Well, at the first they said that, you know, COVID vaccine actually didn't spread COVID, but now we know different. But either way, the rule on the 99211, basically it wasn't needed anymore as the flexibility phone calls, stakeholder phone calls were saying. It just wasn't needed because we weren't talking to patients or counseling them anymore about quarantining and making sure that, you know, they they did this, that, or the other, or masking and all that. That, you know, everybody just kind of knew what each state said you had to do if you had COVID. But as far as the testing part, once the vaccines were there, we didn't have that anymore. So there is no 99211 for that. And make sure you do not use it for an, a new patient visit. 
but that's not all that you have to keep in mind when using the 99211. So when is it appropriate to use? Well, let's say that you had, well, first of all, because um, we, we know it, it does have some monetary value to it, but most patients also will have a copay. So it's around $21 to $28. Patients will also have a 20% or a copay. But if you're doing quite a few of these, you know, even if you're just doing five a week, depending on your practice, it could be over $5,000 a year for a practice. And we just want to make sure that we're not overcoding or overutilization uh, steps in on these services because these are also low hanging fruit for um, the payers to say, wait, what are you doing? So basic guidelines. First of all, patient must be established. So I mentioned that according to CPT, an established patient who's one received professional services from the physician or another physician of the same specialty and now or subspecialty or QHP within the past three years in the same group practice. So it cannot be reported for services or for patients who are new to the physician. Provider patient encounter must be face to face. So telephone calls cannot be used for this. An E&M service must be provided. So this means you, there has to be a, at least a complaint or a little bit of a history and you don't have to have a physical exam. You know, we don't level that way anymore, but there has to be a reason for that patient to come in and some degree of decision-making that has to be, that it's going to be um, occurring. So the clinical need, if it can't be substantiated, then you can't report it. If So if a patient's just coming in to pick up prescriptions or routine prescriptions and asks a question over the counter, that would not be a 99211. And so also if there are codes that uh, more accurately describe the service provided instead of the 99211, then you have to use it. So for example, if a patient's just coming in for a blood draw for routine labs, then you're only going to code the venipuncture, the, the 36415. You're not going to code the, the nurse visit. Now service must be separate from other services on the same day. So let's say that if a nurse provides instructions following a physician's minor procedure or takes the patient's vital signs prior to an encounter with a physician, obviously you would not report the 99211 because it's already provided by the physician or it's part of their pre and post work if it was a minor procedure. Now, you don't necessarily have to have the physician uh, in the room with the patient, but you do have to have them in the office as far as billing incident two rules, and it has to be communication um, available to that provider and to that nurse or clinician, because remember, it's not necessarily a nurse practitioner or PA. They're allowed to bill with the physician bills. This is, we're talking about clinical staff here under the physician and initiated um, the the whole care plan, or I should say that continuing plan of care uh, under the physician for that. So, so to some carriers, that means that the physician even must see that patient every third visit or once a year or every six months. Um, but the reason that, that Medicare considers these services to be integral, although incidental part of the service is because there's still involvement with the physician. So you don't have to have key components, you know, they, they just like the other um, E&M services, they have specific components, especially on medical decision-making or time. That's not the 99211, but you can't use the 99211 just because a patient, you know, presents in your office again to pick up prescription, to pick up a off work slip, to do any kind of paperwork. Do not use it for that. So let's say that you have a patient that comes to the office for a blood pressure check. Everybody always asks for that one. 
If the visit was scheduled at the request of the physician, let's say at a previous ENM, they made a notation in the chart saying, we're going to adjust your medication because I'm seeing an elevated blood pressure. Your readings at home are also showing that they're a little elevated. So we're going to change your medication and I'd like you to come in in two weeks and um, sit down with our RN or our medical assistant and have your blood pressure taken. And then they're going to let me know what they see and, and make sure that this is the appropriate uh, dosage for you. So it would that be a 99211? Yes. But let's say that a stable patient where that wasn't part of their previous encounter, who decides to come in for a blood pressure check because they happen to be out shopping and having lunch with a friend, and the physician did not recommend or order that service, and there's no clinical indication or validation for that need for that visit. So um, let's say a patient was just having some dizziness or a headache that was noted before and um, regarding their blood pressure. Okay, so that could be the nurse takes an additional little history. They check their blood pressure. They talked with a physician who was down the hall seeing patients. Would that be a 99211? Sure. So it has to be clinically appropriate to bill for that. What about a suture removal? So a patient, you know, uh, nurse performs a suture removal or the medical assistant on a patient who has sutures that were placed at a different practice, not your practice, not part of any post-op period of something your physician did. Could that also um, be billed? Yes, it could be billed because that, you know, that is something that there is not a specific code for suture removal and that's appropriate. But it would not be appropriate for the suture removal if the sutures were placed and removed by the same practice because the placing those sutures also include the removal. What about a simple dressing change on an open wound or other injuries? Would that be appropriate? As long as the dressing change wasn't performed as part of a burn treatment, because there's other codes specific to the burn treatment codes, or routine post-procedure care, because some procedures have a global period with that. So the biggest thing on the 99211, use good judgment. So not every encounter is a clinical indication that supports a separate visit code because some patients may not want to be charged for it, for, first of all, and they think they can just come in and get some routine um, lifestyle uh, care that has nothing to do with establishing a protocol with the patient and then following up for that uh, service. So just be very careful on that 99211 because I'm starting to see it be a problem. The last thing I wanted to go over today, and this is going to be short today because I need to go out with my family. There's seven of us here and we're going to uh, go wine taste today. But um, I do have a concern because some practices are allowing patients to not use their private insurance when they have large deductibles. And then there's just a note in the chart about the patient not wanting to use their insurance on that date of service, but there's no insurance waiver signed in the chart. And remember, advanced beneficiary notices are only for Medicare. And so is this a problem? Yes, because now, you know, you're treating the patient, you have nothing in writing. And remember the No Surprise Act, you have to have a good faith estimate for uninsured patients and cash patients. And if you're allowing a patient who has insurance and a high deductible insurance not to use their insurance, then now they're a cash patient and you have to give them a good faith estimate or GFE on what their possible charges are going to be and you have to be within four hundred dollars or they they can file a complaint against you or not pay them so it is important now with the new rules when it comes to uh, the no surprise act not ma making sure that patients understand they're out of pocket if you're going to allow a patient with let's say a ten thousand dollar deductible not to use it but then you're going to give them all these different discounts and services you have to have things signed 
Because remember, that is their choice to do that. They got a large deductible because their insurance premiums are low and it's basically major medical if they have to go to the hospital. So I understand the concept, but it doesn't really help the provider who's, let's say, general practice or internal medicine or primary care where the patient comes in and wants services that are under you know, $200 or $300 or higher, but they still want a discount on that and you're a provider for that insurance. So if you don't have anything signed, then what can you bill for? A lot of times that's nothing. Not if the patient didn't think that, you know, or said, I don't want to go through my insurance and you didn't have a insurance waiver signed specific to that insurance company. And now you're not only out funds, now there's an issue between you and that patient because of what you allowed them to do. So it's really important that the, the financial office is aware of some of these situations because it could become a problem in the future. And you don't want patients to think that every time they walk in your office now it's free. You know, that definitely would be a problem. And, and patients refer patients who think that your services are free. I've seen that before. They're like, oh, go there. They not only don't charge my deductible, I have a, you know, insurance exchange policy that is, you know, a $10,000 deductible. And they do go higher than that. And I don't pay that. I just, I just get the discounted rate. And, it's, you know, and then patients are pretty savvy nowadays to their out-of-pocket and what they have to do. And if they know if they haven't signed anything and you're on the hook for it, trust me, it's going to be about money, not about patient care. So it's just important to make sure that that's really handled up front. Otherwise, that could become a problem. Today's CodeCast podcast episode is brought to you by Carmex, classic lip balm medicated. It soothes, it heals, it protects. Carmex. Carmex lip balm. Okay, so everyone, I hope you have a great rest of your day, great rest of your week, and thank you for listening to the Codecast podcast. Cheers. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net podcast producer Joe Kuzma, music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>